Welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as an ambassador for Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, where nurturing people can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on a journey to success. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Tech People. As always, this is your host, Ken speaking. Today, I'd like to touch upon the ever-present issue of AI. The tech industry is currently going through an incredibly exciting phase as artificial intelligence continues to develop rapidly and become more accessible. This milestone is expected to bring about massive changes in our lives. With AI technology becoming available to almost everyone, we are experiencing a significant shift in what we can achieve opening up new and unimaginable possibilities. Our guest this week, Jeff Deverter, will join us to explore this topic further and help us understand its impact. So let's welcome Jeff to the show. Welcome to the show, Jeff. And thank you so much for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. No, my pleasure. I'll be honest, I attended a number of events recently, as we spoke before we, we started this, but it's the hot topic at the moment, there's no doubt about it. It's AI, machine learning, what value. Yeah, which is awesome. So I'm really looking forward to getting your insights on what you guys are doing. But before we go there, maybe you could just give us a bit of background about yourself and your current role, please. Sure. So Jeff Deferder, I work at Rackspace Technology. I am the chief technology evangelist over here. And so that means I get to do really three primary things. First is I get to help with you know company technology strategy, where we're going with technology to help serve our customers better. Two, I get to work directly with, with our customers and learning more about them and helping make sure they're successful. And then lastly, is I get to tell that story that, well, that anyone will listen. So thanks for listening. <laughs> Excellent. So actually speaking of the whole AI and ML space, when did you start getting into this area? So, you know, it's it's interesting with as hot as it is this year and every it's got everybody reeling. And, and that, of course, I think is driven by the, um, the, the advent of chat GPT on the market. Of course, it's been around for a good long time, OpenAI has. But with chat GPT going into production in you know January, we all come back from the holidays and get hit in the face with this. And now it's being used everywhere. And the amount of advancements are blistering in the pace that they're coming through. But if you, you, know, you peel back that whole topic of AI and ML, there's some you know, really interesting data that shows that Thinking for what we're experiencing right now started back at least in the 1980s, if not before. Wow. And really, it was hampered by, well, well, to really need to go back farther, it's the 1950s. The whole concept in theory of neural nets came into fashion, but it was hampered, of course, by the amount of storage that computers had and the amount of compute capabilities. But as thinking evolved and technology evolved, you would see little fits and starts of it, but ultimately being hampered by, you know, again, going back to available compute and storage and uh, access to data. You know, if you go back to the 80s and you think about, well, what if we could give them all the power they would need and the storage they would need to be able to build out some interesting models? The reality is not enough even was digitized at that point to be able to train the models to do what they're doing. So we, we're right now in 2023 sitting at the, the sweet spot of available technology in the form of storage and compute, think about cloud computing, think about what NVIDIA is doing in the GPU space and available data 
and the right technology to do it. So it's, you know, it's pretty amazing time. Awesome, Jeff, and great to get a background. So in terms of business leaders, obviously looking at, looking at this at the moment, and asking the question, you know, how can I help my business? How can I improve efficiencies? You know, looking at manual processes, improving the customer experience. So in your experience, Jeff, I mean, how business leaders addressing this and what is the big value add here? Well, there's a couple of things to, to call out. The first is, you know, kudos to the business leaders acknowledging that AI isn't sci-fi. You know, it's not, we, yeah. we've been watching these fancy AIs exist in the form of fiction, whether it's been in books or in theater and movies for decades now, but now it's it's a reality. And what companies are realizing is that this isn't one of those wait and see moments and and hope that things go okay. They're realizing the fact that, you know, there's that age-old phrase of, Hope, as nice as it is, is not a strategy. And in this case, hope could be even worse than a, than lack of strategy. You know, it could be the thing that sinks you, thinking, "I hope everything's going to be okay," because your competitors are utilizing this to make themselves better. And my brain sort of gets bifurcated in thinking about what do companies do and what do individuals do, because you know, I think we have to think about. What does your typical knowledge worker, what does their future look like? Maybe we'll get to talk about that later. But but when we think about how companies are utilizing it today, one of the key areas as we've even found in our research here at Rackspace is they're utilizing it to improve customer experience. There's a lot of different ways they're doing that, but they're looking for ways to improve the way that customer experiences the products and services that they get from a company like at Rackspace. You know, here at Rackspace, We've been with managing uh, infrastructure and applications for companies for nearly 25 years now. In that amount of time, we you know you can think about the amount of servers and network switches and all of the different touch points that fall inside of there. Well, we several years ago realized you can't hire enough people in the world to do all that work and to provide the customer experience that we needed to do. We moved into AI ops. And that, what that really means is we're using software, both off the shelf as well as our own custom created software to be able to solve customer challenges, whether those tickets that come into us were, were system generated or customer and human generated. We're able to do that almost you know, mid seventies, low 80%, per, 80% that we're using, we're using systems today, AI to be able to solve and create great experiences for our customers. A lot of cases before they even knew there was a problem. Wow. And is it, I mean, are we still at the stage where we're only looking at kind of basic tasks or it's getting, is it much more complicated now? Well, that's going to get into a couple of things. So the short answer is in some cases, it's some very advanced things, but that shouldn't dissuade companies from starting small and building from there. You know, a a nice customer experience, even an employee experience chatbot. One of the things we did here at Rackspace was we're we're replacing the ability to even reach out directly to a human for our own IT support. And we've got our own chatbot. We've released a, a press release about a lot of the AI things we're doing today. And we talk about the Rackspace Information Technology Assistant or Rita. You got to name these things. You got to put a, <laughs> a digital face. You know, if I need to reset a password, if I'm having problems with tech, any of these sorts of things, I think that's a good basic way to start. And, you know, my, yeah, like I guess how I started this is there are companies doing extraordinarily advanced things, but start with the basics and build from there. Uh, makes a lot of sense. And is it, I mean, at the moment, do you see it tailored better to certain industries or is, can you literally apply it to anything? 
when you're See, that's one of the areas where I think AI, hey, there's so much unique to what's happening. Yeah. And, you know, we can look at whether it's healthcare or financial services, uh, government, state services, these sorts of things. They all adopt technology in different ways. Some care more than others, so forth. But when we get to AI, it impacts everything. There isn't an industry where it isn't impacting. Like, for instance, you know, predictive analytics or analytics at large is something that every company uses to figure out what did they sell? What's our forecast for what we're going to sell? What's our customer metrics look like? Customer retention look like? These sorts of things. Every business leader wants a dashboard with data that they can make a decision by. Well, now you've taken ads and AI and ML into the into the story, and not only can we get analytics in real time, but we can also get recommended decisions based on the data, and we can ask questions of the data that used to maybe take days or weeks for our analysts to go get, but now we can, in the context of reviewing the report, have those answers. For instance, we were to look at a sales report for last year and look and say, hey, look, last July, sales were down. In old days, we'd say, okay, Sally or Bob or whoever created the report, go figure out why sales were down. Now we can actually click into it live and get that data and have it make those decisions and render that information to us in real time. Yeah, sounds sounds all very cool, very interesting. I mean, what's the downside here, Jeff? Or what are the challenges with this then? Because I see there's a lot of there's you know, there's a lot a lot of positives, but I also read there's a lot of concerns with AI. Well, there are a lot of concerns and I you know, People either fall into one of three camps. I think they are the ones that say, oh, the movies aren't right. It's not going to end society. Don't get all worked up. There are those that say, I can't stop it anyway, so I don't care. And there are those that say, well, it's going to end because of it. And I think everyone is right in this scenario because it's this, this incredible technology that brings immense power. But let's go back to what a company might have to do to make it work. And we talk about challenges. Let's start with the challenges of implementation. So all of this is predicated on having good quality, expansive data. I mentioned that earlier on. It's one of the reasons why AI didn't take off in the 80s. There just wasn't enough data to drive it. And so a company that has lots of data, it's a good starting block. But that data has to be curated, it has to be clean, it has to be, in some cases, it has to be augmented with additional data. And so without having that done, then if you really don't have an AI leg to stand on, or at least one that's going to provide great value to you. So that's a challenge for companies getting into it is maybe some of those digital transformation, I hate to use the phrase, but I will, digital transformation activities that they've been slow to modernize on, they've got to go do before they can adopt this technology. We found that true in the research that we've done that we'll be releasing here shortly. In fact, probably by the time your podcast comes out, it will be released. That is one of the main drivers that companies are going back now and doing some transformative action activities inside of their organizations that they haven't done so that they can get in and utilize AI. And uh, when we think about the things that could go bad, you know, you have to start to understand how these models work and where they come from. And, you know, somebody comes up with a, a model and that's really, it's in some cases, it's programming. In some cases, it's, it's guidelines you could think of it as. But you have to throw data and experience at that model to quote unquote train it. In other words, we could create code that would recognize shapes inside of a picture. Maybe we wanted to recognize a deer inside of a photo, little little, little deer. Well, we'd have to throw thousands. Ideally, thought we have to first of all teach a model how to pick a picture apart, but then throw thousands of pictures at a deer and have it learn what a deer looks like, quite literally. So that's the training of the model. That is a a human driven activity that initiates a computer role that creates 
additional quality and decision making. Well, that training requires the data. And in some cases, computers are now starting to synthesize the very data that they're utilizing to train, which is really interesting. And in some cases, as we move forward, we may get to a point where the models themselves will improve themselves. And what if those models then get better at creating not just AI for a specific use case, recognizing a deer, or what's referred to as a general purpose AI or AGI, and that's general artificial intelligence. And at that point, if you have a model that can train itself with new data and improve itself, you end up with the phrase of what most people then who are afraid of AI will refer to, and that is runaway AI. AI that's more intelligent than a human that can do the job better, faster, cheaper. And those that are on the scary side of things that try to alert the world will equate, in some cases, AI on the same level as nuclear weaponry. In other words, could it bring the downfall? Let's make the assumption that AI in some way could bring the downfall of humanity. Well, the only difference then between nuclear weapons and AI is that while nuclear weapons are scary, nuclear weapons can't create new nuclear weapons on their own. But AI, at that point, could create new AI. And that's where they get really scared. Actually, I heard a very good quote last week. I was at a, at a tech conference in Amsterdam. And uh, what the guy said was that there's a human behind every machine. Yeah. Which I thought was very good, you know, when you talk with these scary hackers, there's always a human there. I think that human's probably always needed. But just on that point regarding the data, because that can be, a, I mean, a huge undertaking, you know? Like when you go in and you start looking at your data, understanding it, and then trying to get it into a good shape, that is, it makes sense for AI. I mean, how, do you, how would you even approach that? Or is it better like to start fresh? Or then would it then take too long to only start new data going forward? Or do you go back and clean up all the old data? What kind of ideas would you have around that? Well, again, the answer is yes, you do all those things, unfortunately. And it's not, it's a difficult job. It is a time consuming job. Right. And it is the most important job that any business can be doing right now. Okay. Because the data, you know, if I go back, yeah, I started, well, let's just go back to when I started at Rackspace. It was 2008. I was here to, to help build out what we called single tenant SharePoint environment. So dedicated SharePoint. And meaning basically Rackspace could run those servers better than anyone else in the world. And whether we were right or wrong, that was the premise we built on and that's what we, we built out. But in that conversation or any conversation Rackspace may have been having back in those mid-2000s, which was all about managed hosting, was we were always asking the question and the customer was always there to talk to us about their application. And then you'd hear, oh yeah, and there's a database. It was this necessary level of data that would come along to make the application run. But at some point along the way, this data went from being a necessary evil to the absolute most important thing in that organization. And you start to hear phrases in the late teens of data is the new oil. How many times did you hear that at conferences? Yeah, yeah. Meaning data is where you can go find more money. It's just take it to what it is. But my favorite phrase with that is data is the soil that your business and your new businesses grow out of. And I think that's a better way to look at it because it puts a focus on it that that is the genesis and it's the sustainer of everything that you're doing. And if that's the case, then it deserves the attention to curate whether you're going to go build an AI model or not. It's not this thing you have to manage storage of and keep throwing disks at it over time. It's the thing that everything else comes from. In which case, you also get to build SQL AI and ML models on top. Actually, so in terms of that AI model, you know, and these beast leaders, they want to, hey, I want to take this further. I want to investigate this. I want to go and build. Do you, I mean, for a business leader, and they could just go out 
and buy a model and implement it into their company, or are they better to start fresh and build their own model? What are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, if we go back to the pace that things are uh, mentioning are, are transforming, I mentioned it earlier that this is just a crazy pace that things are moving at. If you asked me that question three months ago, my answer was you'd have to knuckle down and do it yourself. Now there's a bevy of tools, and those tools even being provided by the hyperscale clouds themselves. You can find them available at all of them. Google is about is announcing some amazing tooling and some you know four hour course, and you get yourself a certificate on how to do this on the Google's tool suite. And so it's actually extraordinarily easy. Let's get a very simple use case. So we all we talk about data in you know the new earth. It's the oil, the thing for a company. But think about your own hard drives at home or your work drives that hold all the data that you have. Wouldn't it be nice if you could throw that all in a single location and point an AI, a text-based AI generative you know, text model at it to be able to ask questions of just those gigabytes of storage that you have? Well, that's actually relatively easy to do in the context of throwing that data in a Dropbox or somewhere where your online-based you know, model can, can look at it, um, search it, and now you can ask intelligent questions of, of your own corpus of knowledge, then be able to know where that came from and reference it and get access to it. So it is actually very easy for companies to get started with it today in very simple, non-invasive ways. There's a lot of things to think about. Are you using a publicly available service? Like, Are you taking the publicly available chat GPT and throwing it at your contractual data so you can learn about your contracts? I think it's smart to use an AI to do that, but I don't think it's smart to use a facing one. And now everybody can take a look at your contracts. I get it. And okay, very, very makes sense. An awful lot of sense to me, to be honest. And in terms of, you know, our jobs, should I be, I mean, I'm slightly changing the topic here now, but should I be concerned that my job is going to be gone in the next six months, a year? And uh, what can I do about this? What are your thoughts? It's a good question. So, so I've worked in tech for 25 years. Yeah. And tech has always been one of those areas that regardless of what's happening in and around the economy, computer, I always used to say, I still say it, is that you know all the tech runs on computers and they're in one that isn't broken or need help. And so it's a great place for job security. But we are about to see, I believe, a massive impact in the way your traditional information works and who does what. I think just needing to go and find a general programmer, I got programmers online. And I don't necessarily mean an outsourced model. I think that these models today can really script some interesting things together. Even in private environments, I can throw a bunch of program raw raw code at it and now understand what that code does, how it works, and how to make it better. I think that if you work at IT, myself included, that if we are not thinking about what the future looks like for us and what jobs that the machines can't do, that humans can do that are unique, we really need to figure out how to do them even better and to utilize the tech as a force multiplier for us individually, not just as as individuals. I've heard folks even equate it to the impact here in the US that we had in auto manufacturing back in the 70s and 80s when robotics really came into fruition and it decimated the car manufacturing industry in the US. I think we could see a very similar effect on that right. globally. What a big value add ultimately. Yeah. Can you? Very cool. So, I mean, you mentioned already how quickly it's changing, even in three months. I mean, can you see it, how it's going to evolve over the next year, two years? Or is it hard to say? You know, that and using that type of a, on a time scope, I think, gets hard. I heard, so last week there was a big event out at Google, and I heard it explained to me that if you, they announced, they were talking about as part of one of their keynotes, 
And I think this is very interesting for us to think about in this current mode. They used to do a couple of years ago, three years ago, they used to play in a three and five year sprints and a line set. And that was that's a pretty good, good thing to think about. Uh, but I don't know at what point this started to change, but now they're planning corporately at the executive level in seven to nine day runs. Wow. That's what a company like Google, how they're approaching it and how quickly they're moving. Look at Microsoft. You know, well, we saw ChatGPT show up right after the holidays. And then you hear about Microsoft's $10 billion investment in them. And then there is this wave after wave of innovation that's happening in and around the entire Microsoft suite of things, not just in Azure, in Copilot, inside of, of the Office suite, in the analytics suite, all, all throughout. I can't imagine anybody sleeping over there right now with the amount of work that they're doing to integrate this into their, their technology. Incredible, Jess. Incredible, but very exciting at the same time. It is. It's a great time to be in tech. If you have the right attitude about it and don't mind learning new things. Yeah, I agree. Well, Jeff, awesome. Listen, thank you so much for coming on today and some great insights. If people would like to learn a bit more about you and your company, what's the best way? Sure. To learn about Rackspace, just head over to rackspace.com. There's all sorts of information there. If you want to, not necessarily just to learn about that, but learn about all things tech, uh, we do a lot of thought leadership work over there. You can be found at rackspace.com slash solve. It's our thought leadership program. No one's selling to you over there, but you can go learn some things. And uh, I do a weekly live stream every Tuesday morning. Welcome to join that at 8.30 Central Time. And there's a podcast as well called Cloud Talk. Awesome. Jeff, listen, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Ken, for being on. It's a great honor. 